They're taking Cherubin apart strewn strategically along the daily. Charter boys are tying paternosters in preparation for the fray. Tinnies are being towed to target on the Arnhem Highway. Over in Gove, they're rigging up teasers for the big boys. There's an air of anxious optimism at harbourside boat ramps as launch time looms. And in the front bar of a top-end pub... So I got one of those standard green Afant tags, a bottle of red nail polish, and one of those engrave your name on a grain of rice kits I got off eBay, and I reckon I'm in with a shot, you know? Smith! Uh-oh. Oh, showtime. Great. Yeah, let's go. Quick, Hurry up. drink up. Get up. your bums in the boat and get on with it. Well, g'day fishos and welcome to Tales from the Tinny for another week. It's obviously not Smith and Moore this week, it's Moore and Rocky Edwards. How are you, Rock? Oh, I'm great. If you haven't met or heard Rock before, by way of establishing her credentials as a, uh, as a key foundation member of the Church of Tales from the Tinny, Rock was running me through yesterday um, some calculations on the number of lures you currently own, Rock. I can't give you an exact number because I did start to count and I did start to calculate how much value were in these lures. Mm. Like I know I didn't buy all of them. I've been given lures over the years and won lures, whatever. But I started to calculate what their value would be in cash. How, how bad was it? Well, I got to $15,000 and stopped <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, I can't. This is just too scary. Have they got a room of their own? They do. I have my spare room, which does have a spare double bed in it, just... What the bed's going? The bed's got to go because you could. When I have visitors, they could squeeze around <laughs> the sides because there's floor-to-ceiling shelves. You know, it's like a shed. There'd have to be a lure you could make a bed out of, like a, a fly might might make a, a soft, downy, feathery bed. Who needs a bed in the spare room? That'd be a waste of a good fly. Fair tender. F- <laughs> I need. I have a, an issue. There's some you have a sort problem, of compulsive clearly. disorder here, mm. and I need to let go. And I haven't worked that out yet because most people have. They get rid of their lures, their excess stock or whatever. But I'm finding lures in packets that are so old that the packaging is melting or disintegrating. <laughs> so, I'm a bit embarrassed. But well, look, it, it it says it all, doesn't it? That you would rather get rid of the visitor's bed in the spare room. Yeah, then make more room by getting rid of any of the yeah. lures. How, I don't want to rave on about it too much because we've done it for weeks and I know you and Andy and, and anyone who's fished those daily comps are still suffering the pain, but are, are you recovering? Look, this gig has just come at the best time. Oh, I, needed, I needed some motivation, some mm. enthusiasm, something to get me back mm. on the tiller mm. and I thought, what better than yeah. to be a steward of the tinny? I'm glad we can help. Uh, despite the southeasterlies fish shows, everything's happening as it should as we move towards June. The pelagics are moving back in around Lee Point and Six Mile. Tuna, 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 trevally, max of all species amongst them. So a couple of reports from um, around those areas. Go smaller on the lure is the call at the moment. Uh, the Vic's still producing on liveys, particularly over uh, nepotides, and a thready infestation continues. Yes. At Shady. Thicker than a bowl of porridge. Absolutely infested. 
Bit of trolling, bit of flicking. Hook them, get them in the boat. Run, Jimmy. <laughs> Tales from the Tinny. Harry Renfrey stepping up very ably in the absence of the Ayatollah, uh, Warren DeWitt. He's the president of the game, uh, Catherine Game Fishing Club. How you doing, Harry? Yeah, going good, thanks, Tim. Where is this fella flitting off around the, the globe somewhere again? I spoke to Trent this morning, but I didn't get his final current destination, but I think he's, he could be in Eastern Europe somewhere. Eastern Europe, of course he is. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're living the dream on the Vic still, aren't you? Yeah. No, we had a, a father and son couple of combinations out there on the weekend, and uh, everyone kept pretty busy, Tim, yeah. The tides were coming well, coming into the smalls and um, targeting the bait because the lures still really haven't started working that well out there. The tides were still a little bit dirty. Uh, they cleaned up like Saturday, but the, it's um, really dirty on Friday, but that's what we were after because we were looking for that, um, uh, the barrows to chew on those mullets. So they were certainly was very windy, but yeah, the kids had a great time and we, we were kept pretty busy during the day with um, everything from sort of barrow to catfish and a few salmon and a couple of jewies tied in amongst them. Um, Harry, you talk about the dirty water. I actually like fishing dirty water. Is that something that you aim for? With the baits, Rocky, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, later in the year, as the tides get cleaner and bluer down there, it's a beautiful part of the world. But this time of year, I like the dirty water just for that, for the baits and the barra. Um, And then as the year goes on, we sort of switch to lures with with that cleaner tide. Right, so lures start performing better as the water clears up more consistently later in the dry, Harry? And and sort of September, October there, Tim, I think it gets to be, it's really good there then. It's just nothing, they're not, I don't know, and I don't know if it's common, Rocky, you might know, being on the daily, but I don't know if the fish, we can't seem to find the fish on the snags just yet. That's exactly what happened on the daily. And, you know, we were recapturing tagged barra from the Barra Classic during the Nationals, which kind of tells you they're the resident fish that aren't really moving. And we weren't really seeing any fish moving up the river at all. Yet we're hearing that the commercial net has had a bumper season. So you kind of think they're still out the front. Mm. And they haven't come up because there hasn't been any reason for them to come. But we went up Lizzie Creek on one of our pre-fish days, right up to the junction, and we didn't see anything. There was only big crocodiles that's all you saw potentially the same thing happening on the vic then uh, as a result of that poor wet season harry i reckon tim like there's plenty of fish to fish it the quality's there like the 70s and you know i, I locked onto probably would have been over that just that magic mark and she spat it straight it back to, to me but there were a lot of 50s like we the kids were kept busy um and then but those really nice solid fish that you like catching those 70s or 80s they were they were good to tangle with and um I don't know how to use that sound. I'd probably say that um, to see if those fish were... But they're definitely not on the snags, you know, yet. We trolled Saturday afternoon, and usually where I would, say, pick up some fish on the troll, I couldn't find them. I couldn't dig them out anyway. Harry, I found that on the daily this year that there was a lot more silt, and some of the snags that we would normally fish were actually still there, but silted over, or most of the snag was silted up, and some of the banks were mostly silt. So we lost a lot of structure, I thought, and even some of the rock bars had silted over. Would that be the same on the Vic? Yeah, Rocky, you'd have to probably talk to those fellas who could read their sound a little bit better um but de- definitely there was some really nice fish on one of the predominant rock bars like in terms of i heard a, a couple of crews cleaning up on dewey's on friday night on one of the rock bars which is early for this you know they don't usually we don't usually see them till a bit later but the 
with no fresh, not much fresh in the water, those dewies have moved in and, you know, one of the crew that I was with got a, a metre 11 on a rock bar just on a live mullet, so that was a, that's a nice solid fish. Harry, you're a simple man with simple <laughs> needs and simple pleasures. What I'm hearing is that you've got a pretty flash sounder on your boat but no idea yeah. how to operate or read it. Yeah, I spent Mal put me onto it and um and look they're a beautiful thing to look at and uh, but just being out and I spent a fair bit of time with Trent and and um and Mal trying to get my yeah yeah you got to be at 450 you got to be at 800 oh what's you know and I saw a crocodile the other day on the bottom which which impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. I can't I'm paying some money to do a sound of course but I still don't know what they're looking at properly. You know, you can't see what's not there. Yeah. And maybe no, they're just that, not that's there. That's right too, Rocky. That's a good point. You know, I don't know. Yeah, good point. That's, good that's, point. I would be using that big time, Harry. Uh, yeah, I would, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great excuse. Own that one. Uh, hey, yeah. how, how readily were mullet available? Good. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Oh, yeah, I, I probably got that down. Pat, I've been doing that for years, Timbo. So uh, the kids have a fat time when we catch mullet. And as long as there's a bit of catfish or there's something there. But the barras kept them. It was good to see these kids. You know, these kids are six and seven and eight years old and then they just they're just doing it themselves with little line runs and they hit the handle and um they come up trumps or they don't that's and the fish come out of the water and everyone has a fat time so you mentioned a few 50s some a bit larger some dewies yep. and, and and blues run us through the stats all up yeah i think in in uh in our boat i think we end up with about 20 up to oh, 78 or 80 i think and then Mine, one young fellow of mine got a 65 Dewey um, amongst some 50s in the Barras. Uh, and then the other young fellow who's eight on my boat, he got a 71 Barra plus some others and, a, and, and one big, nice big blue salmon. So H- Harry, who needs to know how to read a sounder? I know. With stats like that. Just keep I it, know, keep but it it's real. How good keep does it, it look? Mate, keep it old school. From what I saw... On the weekend, um, yeah, we're keen to go again. Like if the weather was beautiful, that's the other thing. That's a bonus. Catching fish when, when you got a little bit of coolness and not swept around your bum crack. That's a, that's an absolute bonus, isn't it? <laughs> well, Harry, I think you've filled some big boots today. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no, cheers, guys. Good to talk with you. You too, mate. Catch you later, fella. Okay, see you. Shoot it, right. share it, upload, share it, give us a hoy. You can give us a hoy whichever way you choose. Fishing at abc.net.au is the email address or hit us up on Facebook. Gee, those birds are noisy. ABC Tales from the Tinny on Facebook. Just send us a message there. A note, uh, just firstly, and I did promise to move on on how much Malbs has been enjoying the last few weeks uh, on the Tinny Rock. Malbs is known as Darwin's worst barramundi fisher. Uh, he sent me a text saying, Oh, what's that? What's that I'm hearing on the Tinny? You couldn't catch a barra for five days. Hold my rum. Watch and learn. I'll show you not catching barra. Glad we can uh, provide you some hope, Malbs. G'day guys, it's Clive at the Darwin Show. He's hit us up on the email as well. Getting close to Darwin's showtime again. Can you put a call out to all the fishers making flies or lures into the fishing lure and fishing fly comp at the Darwin Show? 100 buck and 50 buck prizes for first and second in each category and the privilege of being a winner. 
Uh, still plenty of time. Entries need to be su- submitted by the end of July. You're judging that, aren't you? Oh, no, I'm not because I'm not here. But I have, I have been a judge, uh, along with um, Tinny contributors Megan Brown and Lena Lehman. Oh, yeah. The first ever judging crew we were. I think Andy might be involved. He is. He's done. Oh, he's doing it, is he? He's doing it this year. He did it last year. Um, And there's even more lures. Like, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of contributors every year. It's getting more and more. So, obviously, there's a lot more lure makers out there. He's open to bribery, too. Andy, you can get on to him via ABC Tales and the Tinny if if we'll just filter those bribes through the uh, TFT headquarters and take our our cut firstly. Um... Just a little alert, Stewie from the Daily River. Mm-hmm. Um, he posted some pics on social media this week of the um, public boat ramp, which is in, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit. Oh, it's sad. ordinary again. It's a bit ordinary. Um, they did do some work on it last year, which was really good, but it does need a lot more work. And the problem is, is that um, if you're launching a boat down there, launch the upstream side because where, as you get down there, mm. it, it's quite, it's a bit of messed up concrete and rock. And it drops into a hole. So there's big potential for trailer damage. And then once you drop into the hole, your outboard's probably going to hit on rocks that are wider of that hole. So the alert is launch upstream. And the other little cautious thing was just um, down from that public boat ramp is a little rock bar and those some of those rocks are now protruding about a metre out of the water. So there's some new players. And Browns has also got some new rocks emerging that we've never seen before. So Stewie's saying, be cautious, uh, new players. Shoot it, share it, shout it. Give us a boy. Well, as Fisho's Rock, we all have pretty close encounters with crocs. You've had a few, haven't you, out at Corroboree? You've been rammed or... Oh, look, they look at my boat, they see it smaller than them and go, yep, you'll do. And I think every year I have more and more harassing moments from crocs because generally when I'm fishing there is mating time, so they get very, you know, a bit toey. It's genuine. This is genuine advice from the French on how to survive a croc attack. Absolutely. And, yeah, there's this poster in front of me with, with all sorts of, you know, tips and stuff to to uh, prevent a crock attack or injury. Comment agir en cas d'attaque de crocodile? How to behave during a crocodile attack. Si le crocodile avance vers vous, frappez son museau avec vos pieds. If the crocodile is advancing towards you, strike it on the nose with your feet. Couvrez ses yeux. En principe, ce geste calme l'animal. Cover his eyes. In principle, this action should calm the animal. Pour forcer le crocodile à fermer ses mâchoires, Montez à califourchon sur son dos et exercez une pression sur son cou. To force the crocodile to close its jaws, straddle its back and exert pressure on its neck. Si, malgré tous vos efforts, l'animal a refermé ses puissantes mâchoires sur un de vos membres, frappez-le avec le poing sur le museau. If, despite your persuasive influence, the animal has closed its commanding jaws on one of your limbs, pop it on the nose with your fist. Si le crocodile n'a pas lâché prise, empêchez-le de vous secouer, de vous faire rouler, au risque de vous infliger de sérieuses blessures. If the crocodile stubbornly refuses to let go, prevent it from jiggling or rolling you this way and that, as this could risk profound injury. Si la situation dégénère, reportez-vous au chapitre Comment se rendre à l'hôpital avec des membres sectionnés. If the situation becomes unmanageable, see the chapter How to best get yourself to the hospital with severed limbs. Get a mullet up here. Get a mullet up here. 
Authorized by Tim Robin Beard at Tales from the Tinny. Not to be taken as actual advice for how to survive a crop attack. It is actual advice on how to survive a croc attack from the French, and if only we'd known it was that simple. Fisheyes, <laughs> just uh, bop it on the nose with your fist. Or just go to the hospital once your arm's ripped off. But seriously, um, my strategy, completely different. Mm-hmm. If you're that close, you're already croc poo. You're done. You're done. And having a look at that poster, it's the Karma Sutra of crocodile lovemaking. It's so gentle. Yeah, how's it going? It's uh, Trent from Bakewell here. We've just um, been heading out to Shady over the last couple of sets of neeps and um, wading through the threadies and trying to catch a few barrows and hitting up the dewy reef out the front. Obviously launching over the high tide window there now at the barrage. So went out just on dark and, yeah, I think we got, got two and dropped two. Metre 25 was the best. Yeah, they're all around that size. A couple of bigger ones mixed in. The old squid and pilly and get a catfish or blue salmon was last time, but I think it was catfish this time and just fillet them up and yeah that's what got the ones how deep of water getting those dewies in at the high tide it, it's around four to five meters but yeah as it drops out you're down two meters deep there's some bigger fish there that you just can't stop them next morning what happened went and camped back up in the creek get out of the wind it wasn't was a bit choppy out there so we camped up the river and uh nice cool morning yeah just started trolling out the mouth and and didn't take long and they were up pretty much the first bend in found a heap of big threadies and good barra just sitting on the bottom but as that tide sort of bottomed out and then started uh, moving in started picking them up. We've heard recently about about how thick the threadies are out there and um, and as water temps start to drop a little bit and the barra getting a little bit kind of uh, sleepier what was your strategy for, for getting into them? Pretty much just try and find where the barra were away from the threadies but it was pretty hard. There was patches there where the sounder was just lit up and you could feel your lure actually twanging through them and missing them and hitting them and yeah that water temp it has steadied out like it dropped I think it was like 33 last time the neeps prior and then last time it had dropped to 26 so that really shut them down but this time it seems to have got to 28 yesterday so I think just if it stays like it is and doesn't drop any further and it just steadies there I think the fish will stay around and keep on the chew. Is it a matter of just knocking you on the nose with the lure enough times that they just get annoyed? I think so, mate. There's that some in some patches there. There was that many of them, but yeah, you do get a lot of hits and a lot of misses, or just brief hit and gone. I think it just tears through them. But uh, the mate got one, and it was in the middle of the back. So, and it was the biggest one, 97 fork length. He's got nothing but the best gear, old Tim. I take it from that Tim doesn't have the best gear. No, nah, mate. Um, yeah, Timmy had a about seven inches of forty pound leader, and a brand new lure that I give him, and I'm like, just tie a new leader on, mate. You know, good lure that's worth more than the the setup. But yeah, but yeah, he caught biggest barra and uh, biggest threaty and was doing all right on it. But yeah, that drag at the end of the day, I don't think there's going to be much left of that. Nah, Tim's good for it, mate. He'll bring hook uh, lures there with rusty hooks and all sorts of stuff, and you're like, I got new hooks, new lure, like. Toilet, no, 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 they're all good. And somehow he'll manage the biggest fish every time. It's very economical. And yeah. unfortunately, it's worked out for him. It does. And it seems to all the time. Real only had half the braid on it to start with. So when he was letting it out, he was no more from here to the bin there, 20 metres away, out the back of the boat and still hooking fish. The short run. It was just unreal. I suspect everybody knows a tight ass, Tim. He don't, they do, yeah. Anyone that's fished with Tim will know anyway. 
we got one at 97 fork, and then the others were sort of 89 and 87, 88. So they were, yeah, they were up there, but all the barra went back. It was a 97 barra and um, dropped a couple of probably about 70s, caught two rats, but that was the only barra we seen. Although a mate out there, he was there as well, he got a 96 pretty much around the same time. So you're just trolling largish hard bodies? Yeah, the big six inch solid lures, they've got no rattle, just the minnow, they dive to about two metre depth two of one and a, one of the other brands there and yeah they all caught fish at different times purple green and i think yellow but yeah we tied tied them on in the morning and never took them off bar and that once they come up they'll be up in that you know, you're trolling in eight meters so they're up two meters off the top of the surface they're looking for a feed it's just whether or not he can get your lure before the thready does it's a good problem to have i imagine the thready's jumping on yeah well that's it mate you know it's um yeah they're good good sports fish like you got to give them that some of the hookups are fairly weird it's a very soft bite but they'll come to the boat once they see the boat in the net yeah hang on because uh, yeah they'll pull 50 meters of string off you pretty quick tails from the tinny yeah beard i got it i picked it up the horn wasn't really necessary mate like you don't need to go on about it i am also tim a very proud tight ass I like the sound of that, Tim Bloke. I like you, Tim. Crappest gear. Rubbish, really. You would have fished with people like this, Rock. Couldn't give a rat's about the quality of the gear. Still catches the biggest fish. I like you, Tim. Well played, Tim. I think you owe Tim an apology, Tim. Why do I owe Tim an apology? Because you're much tighter than that. (laughs) How's How's the threadies, though? You can feel your lure bashing through the schools of them foul hooking them just like drag netting unbelievable where's where's the where's the competition in that yeah an amazing photo next week just on this to prove the point about the infestation hundreds if not thousands on one sounder pick but we'll put it up as a bit of a game you know like when you um guess the jelly beans at the show yes I want to do that next week on tales and the abc tales and the tinny on facebook so stand by it is truly out of control with threadies Oh, good day, fellas. It's Harry from Humpty Doo here. Look, I haven't spoken to you for a while. I've been down with a couple of, like, yeah, just, you know, top medically-type conditions and stuff and the shit wet season and the poo runoff and all of that, the bad news from the deities is getting me down a bit. But at any rate, I'm back, and I want to tell you something now which I'm pretty irropable about. I heard your story, right, on a couple of ten years ago about the fads. They want to put more fads out there. And I've got to say, I don't like fads. And we don't need government-funded fads. For goodness sakes. Crikey, there's so many fads. I walk to Casarina shops and I see blokes with their jeans halfway up their arse where you can just go and it's like, it looks like a free bike rack. Just park your bike in there. That's a fad. The hat's on backwards with the peak at the back. Of course, you're back of your neck's not going to get sunburned, but your forehead's going to get burnt. It's a fad too, and the fad's about stealing crabs out in the Bino Harbour. We don't need more fads, fellas. Please, I'm irropable. I'm irropable, and I am futile about this. Anyway, Huru, you're doing a great job, fellas. Keep punching, and no more fads, please. Huru. Yeah, fads. Not much more to add there. Finger on the pulse, as always. Harry, 
But I've noticed an, another fad, uh, Rocky, and it's not a good one. No? The tendency of people these days, younger folk mostly, to say, I know, right? Mm. It could be off the back of almost anything. I know, right? <laughs> it's weird how, like, it's weird how Harry, Harry from Humpty Doo sounds a bit like Packy Andy. I know, right? It's annoying, isn't it? I don't know about you, but my yellow recycling bin somehow seems to fill up at a much greater rate with beer cans than the, the red garbage bin with rubbish. I know, right? <sighs> You'd have thought that the requirement to wear pants at work, Rock, would be nullified in the top end. I know, right? Why are you asking someone whether they agree that you know something? Do you know it or don't you? It's either really, really, or yeah, I know. This is the millennials' fault. I know, right? Beard, what are you doing? Get out of here! Red, fast and free! Presenting the Tales from the Tinny Fish Measuring Sticker! Some say it was calibrated by NASA to within a thousandth of a micron. Some say it's been printed over a billion times. Some say that these stats might be slightly exaggerated. Much like your fishing yards without a Tales from the Tinny Fish Measuring Sticker! Email fishing at abc.net.au or message the tinny on Facebook to get yours. Well, our first shout-out is to Wilbur Wilson from Baronga, New South Wales. G'day, Wilbur. First trip with the famed 120YYY Go Fast stickers on my tinny. This better be good news. He said he pulled a nice 95-centimetre Murray cod. There you go, Wilbur. Proof is in the pudding. See, it bloody well works. Yes, it does. Looking forward to annual trip up in a couple of weeks to catch some 95 centimetre fish worth bragging about. <laughs> Cheers. Did you say that bit or did he? Oh, I said yeah, that no, bit. Uh, no. <laughs> of course you did. I mean, a 95 centimetre cod is not to be sneezed at, Wilbur. A 95 centimetre barra smacks it out of the park. It proves the sticker is a licker. <laughs> 74% catch rate. Increase in catch rates, Wilbur. Thanks for the report back. Hey, Tinny boys, this is Potty Mullet Matt from Victoria. Get a load of this one, Rock. I originally sent you blokes an email last year asking for a super red, 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 fast as hell, 120, oh bloody why Delilah fish measuring sticker to whack on my as-yet-to-be-purchased tinny so when I came to the Territory on my three-month fishing mission later in the year, she'd be blessed with boundless possible or frothy waffle fishing luck. Don't go to the daily. Sure, (laughs) yeah, don't go there. Sure enough, Neville drunkenly showed up with the goods. Who's Neville? Neville Rock is, is the drunken albatross who delivers the stickers. So oh. he takes them from Tinny HQ in his beak, crashes through windows, excretes faecal matter everywhere, has a wom, sits down a couple of rums and burns off to the next person. It's quite a pest. Anyway, that's Nev. Before he'd hand over the coveted sticker, he dem- see, here we go. He demanded beer, rum and whatever else he thought he might like to take with him as he stumbled towards the better half. <laughs> Looking for her affections, Fossey Matt. <laughs> he's, a t- he's a pest. Watch out. Uh, so I grabbed the sticker off him, kicked him out, told him to sober up before he ever came back. He hurled abuse at me and stumbled off into the night. I guess that was to be expected, really, but as far as I was concerned, all was well. And I got on with a few months of prep that goes into a, a, such a trip up north, content in the fact that my new tinny would be blessed with the powers of the magical red sticker. Fast forward a few months, says Matt. I was hurtling up the Stewart Highway. After the last five or so days driving, the country was starting to change from that mongrel red desert rubbish to much more better top-end scenery. That's a nice part of the drive, isn't it, though? When you see that country, you know you're home. 
there's actually green it's trees. It's welcome home path. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I thought I'd throw on the wireless for a few episodes of the previously downloaded podcast. And then you blokes started crapping on again, as we are now, about the red stickers. And my heart absolutely sank. <laughs> I'd forgotten to apply the new sticker to my brand new boat. How could you do that? It's sitting in the garage three and a half thousand k's away. So he nearly did his ticker over a sticker. He did. (laughs) Do I abort the mission? Do I turn around, tail between legs and go home? Do I press on and suffer weeks of fruitless fishing and, and bad luck without it? I know. I'll stop at Daily Waters, have a beer and beg the church for forgiveness. Write this message and ask for help. So please, O most gracious, esteemed and merciful tinny church leaders, that's you and I, Rock, and the entire congregation, can you please forgive me for the sin of forgetting the original sticker? Can you just get them to me somehow? Three would be good. One for the tinny, one for Wobbles the ute, and one for Nessie the camp trailer. Oh, come on. (laughs) To make life easy, I can come and pick them up there from Tinny HQ. I think, Rock, my feeling is we just have to do it. Otherwise, the guy's here for three months and he's going to catch nothing. Well, that's right. And we can't have him dishevel the Neville. We'll get the address to you. Pop into Tinny HQ. They'll be there in 20 minutes, Matt. If you want to get yours, email fishing at abc.net.au. Message us on ABC Tales from the Tinny on Facebook. And don't forget to apply it. Remembering, as you do, praise be the mullet. Amen. I'm Hannah from Milner. Um, on the weekend, my partner Dak and I headed out fishing. I'm out Saltwater Arm and up Cape Hotham. Decided to, well, we're, gonna, we're meant to launch in the morning, but I had a few trailer issues um, before heading off. I had to fix the lights and that sort of stuff, so launched late afternoon um, and headed out. Didn't really catch any fish that first day or in the afternoon. Come the evening, we met up with a couple of mates at a spot that we decided ahead of time and um, I started a fire on the beach and cooked up some dinner. Um, just about as we were finished with it, the um, I was literally just about to set foot in the boat, just with some stuff to start packing away, and the line just went off. <laughs> And I sort of remember just launching into the boat, jumping over the esky to get to this rod. Dak's in the boat at this stage as well, just going off, go Hannah! <laughs> Dak netted it perfectly. Bam, first saltwater barramundi ever. Measured in at 77 centimetres, so it was super cool experience. So after that first barrel, that was um, sort of it for the evening for me. It sort of quieted down a bit. Um, I think come midnight or just after, I was very, very tired. So I decided to uh, hit the bed and Dak stayed up fishing and uh, catching more liveys. And I've just got with these weird sort of half asleep, dreamy memories of the boat moving around with them in Crater and um, liveys sort of floating above my head in the bucket towards the bait well and... Um, yeah, it was a very good night. I slept extremely well. Woke up about four, I think. Forced Dak to go to bed for a bit. Sun came up and uh, we sort of positioned ourselves for the for the turn of the tide and uh, had a few lines out and uh, we could see heaps of bait everywhere. 
jumping, we can see barrels rolling and heaps of other fish around as well. So uh, mine just went off again. I saw pretty fast that it was a barra. Dak was jumping around with a net in the boat. I was jumping around with a boat, with a rod even before coffee, so still very tired as well. Put her on the mat and turns out she was um, 86 centimetres. Massive, massive moment for me and that, that whole trip has just gone from zero saltwater barras to first the one and then an 86, so amazing trip. <laughs> Since moving to the Territory, we've, I think we've been here for about two and a half years now, we've um, done a lot of fishing, a fair bit of blue water and uh, a lot of billabong fishing for barra. So I've caught heaps of um, freshwater barras before, but haven't actually caught a saltwater one before. Just haven't been catching them. They've just been very elusive for me. So there's been several trips where Dak has caught them, come back in, I've been really sad, still keeping my hopes up, so yeah, this trip sort of, that was it for me, definitely hooked on it now. Next one hopefully I'll get the bigger one. Gee, you really got to pay attention don't you, because I got that one too Hannah. Woke up at 4am and forced Dak to go to bed for a bit. <laughs> He's obviously having a bloody great time, as you're passed out near the live bait tank. On the gargle at 4am he is. Well played, sir. Well played, Dad. No wonder you were still up at 4am. You're, you're so proud. So much celebrating to do, Dak. It's stories like these that counsel me to getting back on the tiller. Oh, good. Yeah, particularly This is the inspiration the you've been looking oh, for. Yeah, because my first ever barrel was on the South Alligator. Mm. And um, I was such a rookie that I cast at this creek mouth, a little soft plastic... And I got a bite. Like, I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, wow, I got a bite. Everyone was excited for me, but I lost the fish. Mm. And as I brought it in, my, my mate, Ali, said, Rocky, you didn't take the sheath off the hook. Oh. I took the sheath off, and I cast in the exact same place, and bang. You got one. I got a 67. Second cast. Yep. That would have been in the days when soft plastics were kind of just starting to become popular in territory fishing, I reckon. They were. And I've actually seen, you know, sometimes you can buy those little plastic things that go on the trebles. Mm. I've seen someone cast a lure (laughs) with those things on. I'm thinking, they're bright orange, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, it kind of defeats the... But you've been there. We've all been there. (laughs) Live and learn. That's what happens when you're born in 1996. You don't know how to use a fishing rod. Since then, I haven't moved. I've wrapped myself in cotton wool, <laughs> and I'm too scared to do or go anywhere. Tales from the Tinny. G'day. I'm Seth Chin, otherwise known as Chinbat or Chinwaza. So over the past you know, handful of nips, we've been going out spearfishing, predominantly out at Dundee. We've had to wait till the wet season's cleared up a little bit, um, but we've been getting some really clear, really clear water out there. We went out last Sunday, got up at about 4.30, drove out to Dundee, dropped the boat in. We were aiming to get the high at about 10.30, and the forecast wasn't actually looking that good. The wind was looking like it was going to be a bit nasty that day, but ended up being absolute glass off. Got really lucky. Took the boat out there, went to probably the first two or three spots, which were about 30, 35 k's off Dundee. And the first four dives, I had three fish. First, first dive, I got a, about a 45-centimetre coral trout. Second dive, about a 40 centimetre, nice, really nice blue bone. And then the third dive, I got really lucky in and snagged a, a nice 80 centimetre golden snapper, which is the biggest one I've gotten so far. 
You do say it rather casually, though. You're like, oh, yeah, 80 centimetre golden snapper. Bloody hell, mate. That's amazing. Yeah, no, we've found Dundee. Find those big goldies. We don't get them in the harbour as much, but when we, go, when we go out to Dundee, there's a few spots we go to, and there's just these prehistoric goldies out there, which are just incredible. You see them in... When you see them underwater, and they look at you, and there's a school of 20 or 30, you just get blown away, and you've just really got to take your pick on which one you're going to shoot. So they're all around about those sizes? <laughs> yeah, so depending on, on, on which spot we're at, the school sizes will range from probably 45 to 80 on the, on the larger size. Talk me through bottom structure and, and how deep are you diving? So the first spot we went to, at Dundee, our dives range from probably 14 to 25 metres. If we're going for some of the mackerel, some of the spots will go are about 30, and we'll sit at mid-level you know, 15, 20 with a flasher and flash a mackerel up. Um, but, you know, the spots where, we get it, where we're getting these goldies, yeah, predominantly 14 to 20 metres. And it doesn't look like much on the sounder. You know, you'll have, you'll have a, uh, a ledge at about 17 and then a drop of about, you know, 15. So it'll be only a two, three metres drop. And it's usually you've got sand and then you've got a ledge where the reef is. So we go around the side at the edge of those reefs and that's where we find big red emperors and golden snapper and stuff like that. What, what kind of visibility are you getting? Well, that ranges. So it, it depends on the day and what the currents are doing and what the tides are doing, what the winds are doing, etc. But um, it can range anywhere from 2 metres to 15 metres. I've had it, the best I've had it at Dundee is 20. That is a far cry from visibility in Darwin Harbour, I'd suggest. Very much so, very much so. It's, um, it's very temperamental. Yeah, we've got a few friends that have been spearfishing in Darwin for years and years and years, and to this day they still can't even pick when the visit is going to be good or bad or what's going on. So a lot of the time we go out there with our fingers and toes crossed and just hope for the best. You've talked about goldies and, and trout. Uh, you're getting reds out there as well? Getting some very nice reds. My mate shot about a 7 kilo red on the last trip we went out on, and it was his first dive. So we, he came up. It's funny because we'll all be diving together, but obviously the, on a normal day, the average day, the vis is only about five to six metres right, on the bottom. So we'll be going down 10 metres apart and not see each other on the bottom. And um, he went down. We all went down the first dive. He came up and he just goes, look at this. He stoned a red on his first dive and it was the biggest red we've seen out there. Do you run into many grinners on the bottom? We do. The men in the grey suits are quite prevalent at Dundee um, and there's a lot around there and a lot of the time we'll be at the boat ramp and we'll be in our wetsuits getting ready to go and the fishers will be looking at us going, mate, do you guys know how many bloody sharks are out there? But yeah, we actually see them. <laughs> We're actually poking them away with our spears. So on the last trip we went on I had um, a bull shark and a big lemon shark down there kind of following me around because to me they're just like dogs. Like when I first started spearfishing, a good mate of mine said, you've got to treat sharks like dogs and if you run away from a dog, what does a dog do? chases after you so with sharks you've just got to be the alpha underwater so there's a couple of sharks down there i'm down there and i see another probably 65 70 centimeter goldie and i shot over a shark and and got this goldie and instead of pulling it right in close to me because i was a little bit iffy on the viz and the, the, the other shark was actually a bull shark that i just swam straight to the surface had the goldie on my gun reel and luckily i wasn't sharked but a lot of the time we do get sharks down there another one of our friends was down there and he was lining up a, a shot on a nice coral trout and he said he, f- he thought it was one of us looking over his shoulder. And as he's looked around, there's a big lemon shark just peering over his shoulder. And he absolutely crapped himself and, and moved and got a bit flustered and swum up. So didn't, didn't take the shot. I actually had a funny thing happen on the weekend where everyone's got their different methods and techniques to drinking water, eating breakfast, drinking coffee or no coffee because it increases the heart rate, etc. Um, and, you know, we, a few of us out there had some fruit, some bananas, you know, a little bit of chocolate for the sugar. And one of the boys pulled out a can of vanilla rice, which we found very entertaining. We all looked at him and thought, what are you eating? 
he looked at us and used his dive knife to crack open the can and then he just started absolutely chowing down on this vanilla rice and we were always half dry reaching going what is that it's, it's certainly not a Bear grills moment, is it? No, 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 not at all. Not all, especially after it was all over our friend's new boat either. <laughs> it sounds like Popeye, but with rice cream instead of spinach. Exactly. Apparently great carbs, a lot of sugar, and obviously terribly bad for you. <laughs> you mentioned Mackie's before and uh, using a flasher. So that's sort of, um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, dangling flashy things sort of down into the water column to bring them up. What size Mackie's have you got down there before? God, we've ranged, like, I've, we've been out there before and one of our friends has probably got about 22, 23 kilo mackie. We're talking, like, 110, 120, 130 centimetres. Big mackerel out there. And anyone that's fished at Dundee knows that if you're in the right place at the right time there, there's fish that are just, again, like I said, prehistoric. And um, when you shoot these big mackies, you've just got to let the reel sing. And it literally sings. When you shoot these big mackerel, it's just... And you just let them go, let them go. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like awesome sessions down there and I, I hope you guys keep getting into it over the dry man we definitely will be hopefully you'll be on one of these trips with this beard chin bad or chin chin, chin waza oh, a lot of fish would be used to getting sharked but actually being able to see it happen oh, just treat them like a dog though I mean not dissimilar to how the French um, deal with crocodile attack he, he just pokes sharks treat them like a dog be the alpha wouldn't it be, I think now we need the French to come out with a poster on how to avoid shark attack. <laughs> G'day, David Chiravolo from Afant here. Uh, had a great three days fishing over the weekend, perfect dry season fishing. Friday afternoon, knocked off a little bit earlier. Plan was to head out to Six Mile, but we didn't get, uh, we didn't get past Larrakia because there were acres of queenfish. Uh, and out at Lee Point over the weekend as well. We were really going fishing for pelagics and, and the key was to start looking for the birds and, and often what we'll do is we'll say we'll head out towards Six Mile and usually get distracted along the way. There were just so many fish. Unfortunately, they weren't as obliging as they often are, but we certainly managed a few. Fish were really tuned in to small white bait fish, so you really had to match the hatch, as the fly fishers say. Uh, it was really important to get the presentation right, um, but they were so thick, uh, it was almost unbelievable that we weren't hooking a fish to cast, uh, but we did have a great day once we, uh, once we got onto the right lure. A couple of weeks ago, we were getting fish that were sort of a metre, but um, the fish that we got this time were probably, yeah, around that sort of 60 centimetre mark, uh, 50, 60 centimetres, so a little bit smaller. Um, there are some bigger fish uh, amongst them, and there's quite a few tuna out there as well, but as I said, they've just been a little bit shy, so you've got to have that small white lure. And the tuna you saw, you saw at a point um, just sort of scattered little schools here and there? Yeah, we drove ourselves dizzy chasing the birds um, for a while because um, I'm pretty fanatical about eating tuna, so I kind of like hunt them down with gusto. And uh, it's hard to ignore dive bombing birds, let's face it, but it really was a bit of a you know waste of time at, at the moment. Having said that, out at Lee Point, there were a couple of times when they busted up right next to the boat and were sitting stationary. So I think it's actually a really good thing to integrate into your technique. Yes, look for the birds, but don't become obsessed with it. Not every time fish are feeding do you have birds above them. Um, but of course, you know, when the birds are bombing and the, the tuna are busting, 
you know, your blood starts boiling and, and all your theories go out the window and you're screaming towards it and hoping you don't knock your mate off the front of the boat when you pull up. It's just a numbers game, I think. We kind of have this philosophy where if you're charging at the tuna uh, 20 times, you'll, you'll get a hookup, you know, once or twice and it makes it all worth it. But if you're out there and you want to have a, a good experience, don't don't obsess over the birds, you know, um, that look look for bait fish, look for structure, um, position yourself over somewhere where you know looks fishy and quite often the fish will actually come to you. We we thought, gosh, Friday was so good. Imagine how good the next day is going to be. No, the weather was different. Ramp was quiet. No one was doing very well. Uh, and so uh, we organised a redemption trip on Sunday morning and uh, redeem ourselves we did. Heading heading out to Lee Point, um, first time I've actually fished out there for, for the pelagics and I have to say uh, it was just a maze of bait fish out there. There was so many garfish. We didn't actually follow the birds this time. We just um, sat over a bit of reef and there were mackies all around us. So broad, broad bars and um, spotted mackerel. Uh, and there were some big Spaniards around as well. Flicking lures around, are you trolling or what? Uh, with a really good tip from Chris Hurt, uh, he showed me this fantastic little white lure to use. And uh, so we were going to be using nothing else first up. Uh, and, uh, you know, first cast, first fish. Thanks very much, Chris, for the tip. Uh, and uh, the rest of the day just sort of followed on from there. We also used little white Mirabu jigs uh, and found that using them on slow pitch jig rods was a really great way of being able to get the right action, stay in contact with the lure. Uh, and we never drop a fish on those rods, so it's a really good way to fish. Well, David, I'm a bit of a barra person, so I don't do a lot of that sort of fishing. So for those like me that are, you know, stuck on the barra and can't get off, um, you know, how thick were they? How many were you getting? Looking out into the water with the Polaroids on, all you can see is garfish skidding around and these shapes moving underneath them. And we're using spot lock, so we're staying on the on the reef spot. Uh, and literally, anywhere you look, you, you can see fish. Uh, and so most casts, you're either getting a follow or you're getting a hook up. So um, really, really fast and furious action. Uh, and I would say we probably caught about uh, you know, 20 fish over the session that we, that we landed. And uh, we, we lost a big Spanish mackerel as well. So that was, uh, that was the one that got away. Uh, lost the Spanish, but so you're into the broad bar or, or, or grey mackerel as some people uh, might know them as. How big were they getting up to? Oh, they probably ranged from about 40 to 50 centimetres, most of those. There were some bigger fish there, certainly. Um, I think they're sort of, you know, they're definitely around, but the small ones beat them to the hooks, you know. It's a bit of a pain, but look, they're great uh, eating, and uh, so we were really happy to uh, put a few onto the ice and uh, bring them home with us. As you said, they are very good on the chew, and uh, this is where one of your specialties really comes into play here, dry season pelagic cuisine. Yeah, well, I'm really passionate about blue water fishing. That really gets my heart rate going. And I'm also really passionate about eating fish. Uh, and I think they can sometimes be an undervalued food species. So whether we're talking about trevally, queenfish, mackerel, tuna, um, I think they're first grade um, nosh. And it's all about looking after them from the moment you catch them. So we, uh, we brain spike those fish as soon as we catch them, put them into a, a slurry of uh, salt water and ice. Uh, and then when we get them home, um, well, it could be smoked fish, uh, fish ribs that we made this time, uh, but also sashimi, uh, ceviche, numus, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of applications for these fish that people might not realise. Queenfish of those pelagic species, it, it is somewhat maligned. I mean, people know about numus, of course. You've got to start by looking after it from the, mo- from the moment that you catch it. That's really, really important. Uh, you know, don't bother going fishing with one bag of ice in the esky. Make sure that esky is brimming with ice. Get it nice and cold and, and keep it fresh. Uh, when you get back, you can fillet it up. It, it lends itself to being cooked 
straight away if you're going to have it uh, fresh in some of your more conventional ways. But uh, it's amazing sashimi. It's beautiful with a bit of uh, wasabi and soy sauce. Uh, so it's really good for that. But of course, um, numus is really popular, or, or ceviche as I like to as I like to make. So you know, lime juice, a chili, a bit of spring onions, coriander, uh, and I like a bit of coconut milk in there as well. Uh, and you can make a little salad of uh, tomato and avocado and serve it up like that. So it's actually a beautiful thing to eat and just perfect for this tropical climate. And can you tell us about your fish ribs? Right, so the fish ribs are a bit of a, a bit of a revelation. Uh, mackerel are beautiful to eat fresh um, as sashimi, but they are a fantastic fish to smoke. So um, went out with my mate Matt over the weekend and uh, promised to show him how to smoke the fish. So we um, go through the process of um, rubbing them with salt and, and, um, and sugar, uh, drying that off, and then preparing them in the smoker. Now, you take your fillets off, but you're left with this frame. And some people might discard the frame or use it for crab bait, but if you actually trim it up and um, treat it the same as the fillets you're going to smoke, once you've smoked it, you end up with this beautiful uh, caramelised frame and the meat just pulls off of the bones. Cut it into nice segments, pile them up, serve it with a bit of aioli, and uh, you need to wash it down with a few cold beers. Uh, yeah, that, that, now that's it's my kind of, kind of meal here. That's kind of mandatory here, isn't yeah. it? And the key there is about not wasting anything. And you can do it with mackerel, you can do it with the queenfish frames, you can do it with, uh, with trevally. So with all this sort of good fishing, what part of the tide are you working? What's your favourite or best part of the tide that you would work that area? Well, I'm going to give you a tricky answer to that question. I'm going to say I'm an opportunist, Rocky. Ah. So uh, when there's enough water to get out of the Buffalo Creek Channel, that's a really good time to go. Um, But look, I mean, generally, you want clearer water. Sort of coming onto neeps can be really good, but you can catch pelagic fish through many uh, different tide cycles. Uh, But a bit of water clarity does help. And um, look, they're pretty strong swimmers, so they're not going to be affected by tide all that much, but it might impact on your fishing technique. I I would say get out when you can and uh, when we've got south easterlies blowing get out when the wind will allow you so just take advantage of the opportunity and that's the great thing with pelagics they're a, a fish of opportunity well david it's been lovely hearing the first installment of uh, david's pelagic cooking tips thanks for having a chat with me and rock always a pleasure well david that sounded awesome every cast getting a follow or hookup fast feverish and furious And that's what we want to hear as we move well and truly into the dry season, that pelagics are moving back in around Six Mile and Lee Point. He loves the cooking, doesn't he? He, He's actually quite a foodie, David. Mm. He does have a little history in hospitality, which he touched on, but he's got a whole lot of recipes. I think we need to tap into that. For some reason, I don't know why, I just pictured him side-by-side co-hosting with Nigella Lawson. The electricity in that room would, would be powerful. I have a special mention from the bush chook. Righto. She, um, we've, we've had a lot of conversations recently about boat rescue etiquette and mm-hmm. the lack of. She shares this story from a charter operator on Sunday, mouth of Shady, so a long way from the ramp, a tinny is resting in the trees. Mm. Two fellows on board, they need help, they're broken down. But this is the magic hour approaching. Charter bloke has four punters on board. Mm-hmm. They agree we'll go and fish, we'll come back and we'll rescue them. So they lose probably a good, good part of their day on the rescue. They tow this, this tinny back to the ramp. They help the guy secure the boat, get off the ramp and receive just a thank you. I think if it was just a regular outing, but we're talking about four punters lo- paying their way. I mean, a thank you is good. It's better than no thank you. It is. But it's pretty simple, isn't it, Rock? 
you offer a carton and then you actually deliver the carton. There's no other way around it. That's what you do. Just buy a carton. It's not that hard. Hi, I'm Joey Solvey. I'm 14 years old. And his dad is Jeff, that's me, um, at the Billfish Bash last Saturday down at Dundee. And uh, we originally headed out uh, west of the Witch's Nose. Pretty much before we even got our spread out, we got hit by a Mac, which uh, is a real nuisance in uh, billfishing competitions because, uh, well, we fish with five lines out plus four lots of teasers and... If you get mackerel or tuna and you spread when you're looking for billfish, it takes a lot of time and energy to reset all the lines and troll it again. And it wasn't long after that that we got hit by tuna. Same scenario, so let's go somewhere else and try somewhere different. Hit by tuna again, and just after resetting the lines that time, we got hit again, and we didn't see what it was. The uh, shotgun went off. The shotgun was a big lure, a big pecula lure we put out there just in the off chance that the big one came along and it did. It kept running and it kept running and I'm like, that's no tuna. Jumped up the bow, went and chased it, probably took about 500 metres of line. And we, it hadn't jumped yet so we thought it was a, a shark, maybe eight or tuna. A great big... Is that marlin? <laughs> it is a monster black! What the f***? I've never seen an animal that big in my life. It's a freaking elephant. <laughs> oh, we were excited. There's no two ways about it. And we had been talking about what we thought it was the whole time for up, up to the 40-minute mark when we realised. We uh, estimated somewhere between two and a half and... and and three metres, probably closer to two and a half. That's a short measurement. So from the fork in the tail to the lower jaw, somewhere between 150 and, and 200 kilos. It wasn't a classic billfish-type take. It There was no jumping and kept to the surface, but a long way away, and it was a bit like a freight train. It, and I knew that it had a long way to go. We, we both realised it was a big fish. And Yeah, I held the rod the whole way out. I probably lasted an hour, and then it was gimbal time. It's a sort of surreal feeling because you can feel every single kick of the tail. Like a big, that tail's got probably like a metre and a half radius of kick, and you can feel every single inch of it. It's hard to describe how it feels. It's just like a big weight, and we got it within probably 30 metres of the boat, and that's when it jumped first, and it went back and forth between 30 and 50 metres for 45 minutes until we got it reasonably close to the boat and it just charged at us. We thought it was, we were going to get impaled for a second. At one stage we had it, had it to the, the leader to the boat but it wasn't uh, there long enough to uh, to get the tag in or, or anything so we sort of knew that the, the fish was still quite green. The things that start going through your head are what are we going to do now? How, how are we going to handle this fish? It's a big fish and there's only two of us and we sort of got the leader to the rod and that's when most people call it a catch but not in this competition, you have to get a tag in it for it to count and we sort of didn't want to release it without a tag anyway. So we got the leader to the rod, did a big arc around and started heading for the boat, went for a big charge down underneath the boat and rubbed us off under the boat. We sort of just went silent, looked at each other, 
looked at our toes, thinking about the what-ifs and is this reality, what, what's happening right now? From one extreme you know, of, of excitement and, and adrenaline to the fish was lost you know, in a heartbeat and we both just sat there and we're lost for words, really. I blame myself, Joey doesn't, but I do because I, I didn't get onto the throttle and back up quickly enough to stop it happening. And it did happen quite quickly, but if I had been a bit more on the ball, then we could have prevented it. So That was the fish that we've been dreaming of, and that was the fish we went looking for, and that was the fish we hooked, and we just didn't quite follow through with it. Um, so that, that, that's probably the most disappointing part, that we couldn't quite finish the job. You do believe that he'll be thinking about this for the rest of his life? <laughs> yeah, he's going <laughs> to... Every no. time he sees a fish, he's going to think of that. go and catch the, <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Tales from the Tinny. It's a friggin' elephant! Dad, though, Jeff, mate, don't blame yourself. This is fishing, it happens. Although it is a drop fish, you don't forget in a hurry. 14 years old, 90 minutes on 150 kilo plus black marlin, and then... Yeah, but, 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 mate, it's not your fault. But he is only 14, he's got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, that's right, it's plenty of time to get another one. <laughs> he's at the, 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 the start of the rule. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. is. And by the way, when Bid was talking to them, yeah. and they were checking the GoPro footage, Mum overheard some of the expletives on that video. Put it this way, he got a good clip over the ear. <laughs> yeah, that language is not for Mum and not for home. That's You're only allowed to use that language on the boat with Dad on a 150-kilo marlin, so... And don't check GoPro footage in earshot of Mum. You should be ashamed of yourself, Joey. But well done on the fish. Cheers to Trent Milgate, Joey the marlin wrangler, and Jeff the devastated, Seth Chin, Hannah and Dak, and David Cherubolo. And, of course, to Harry Renfrey, who, after having a fat time on the Vic, watching the kids just having a ball on Barra, summed it all up very neatly... Catching fish when you've got a little bit of coolness and not swept around your bum crack, that's, a, that's an absolute bonus, isn't it? <laughs> the wisp of cool, crisp air across the face. The thirst-quenching relief as the beer moves down the gullet. And the distinct dryness, the complete absence of sweat in the bum crack. That's living. I know, right? Get a stupid, annoying, millennial phrase uttering mullet up ya! Yeah!